Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, I'm Danielle Nishida, and I'm here with Lori Hattenboy. And today, given the close proximity to the 1042 and 1042S reporting deadline, we thought we'd discuss a couple of topics where we often see people get these rules wrong. And those topics are what to do when you've underwithheld in order to avoid getting penalized. And the other topic is the proper use of the escrow procedure, because both of these rules provide substantial relief to withholding agents, and we don't see withholding agents take advantage of them as often as they should. So first, we're going to talk about the underwithholding rule. The rule as it used to be prior to 2016 was that if you made a payment on day one and you failed to deposit that payment within the required schedule provided by the IRS, the second you missed that deposit deadline, you were assessed a late deposit penalty. That all changed in 2016 when the IRS released notice 201676. That notice really applied to Section 871M payments, but the way that IRS and Treasury drafted that notice was that they interpreted the underwithholding provisions in 1461. And so instead of creating a new rule that would only apply for 871M purposes, they were interpreting an existing rule that was already in play, which meant it applies for all payments for which underwithholding was done. And it applies retroactively to years prior to 2016 as well. And so what that notice provided was if you are a withholding agent that failed to withhold when you were supposed to, as long as you deposit that amount with the IRS by the March 15th reporting deadline, you do not get to use the extended April 14th deadline. It has to be by March 15th. But if you make that March 15th deadline and you deposit the tax, you will not be subject to any late deposit penalties. Now, you have to be really careful to report this properly, because if you don't report properly on your 1042, you're going to get hit with those late deposit penalties. So the proper way to report this on the 1042 in a case of underwithholding where you have made up the underwithholding by the March 15th deadline is when you're completing the 1042 in lines 1 through 60, you are not going to enter the payment date, which is what you would typically do you are going to enter the date that you made up the underwithholding. And so generally, when we see this happening, people are not making up the underwithholding during the calendar year. They're making it up somewhere around March, right before they're issuing the 1042S. And in that case, you're going to enter the tax liability in line 59 rather than the payment date. Now, if you happen to make up the underwithholding during the year, so let's say in February of 2021, you made the payment, By November of 2021, you realized that you had underwithheld, and so you made up the underwithholding either by withholding from the payee or by paying it out of pocket yourself. In that case, you're going to enter the tax liability not in February when you actually made the payment, but in the corresponding November date where you actually did the withholding and the depositing to the IRS. Yeah, and I think one thing that's important to note here is that we have had situations where we are able to use this relief retroactively. So where somebody didn't report properly, but did get that payment in by March 15th. So just by amending the returns and putting those those liabilities on the correct line that the IRS would adjust those penalties. 
if you do follow that mechanism, I would recommend that you do follow up to the penalty notice and address specifically to the person that issued that notice that you are amending the return and that you are taking advantage of this relief. And a couple other things I just wanted to point out with this. First of all, this doesn't apply if you actually withheld the tax and just failed to deposit it. This has to be where you actually did not withhold the tax, discover the underwithholding liability, um, and then are paying that in after the fact. And it's critical that that underwithholding gets paid by that March 15th date. So it is the unextended due date of the 1042. And it's it's critically important that the tax get deposited by that time. And also make sure when you're making that deposit that you code it properly back to the year where the payments were made so that that gets deposited into the correct year. And just one thing that's really important here is that you get that reporting right. So Danielle had talked about putting the liability on line 59. The instructions also tell you when you're reporting the liability that you enter that on line 65B. That's very important because the IRS systems are programmed to not generate that automatic penalty notice as long as you're properly reporting on that right line. So if you don't get that right, you are gonna get that penalty notice and you're gonna have to go through that process of amending the return and letting the IRS know that it was just an inadvertent mistake on the tax return. And this relief also applies whether you actually pay out of pocket where the withholding agent's actually paying the underwithholding and discovered itself, or you're able to withhold from the beneficial owner after the fact. Either way, as long as you get that payment in by that March 15th date, then you're going to have this relief available to you. This is something that is actually usable with partnership distributions when you're not sure at the time of payment what exactly the breakout of that payment is. The one thing I would caution here is that there is some risk here because it may be by the time you discover what that character of the payment is, that partner may no longer be a partner. And if you already made the payment to them without the withholding, you're putting yourself at risk. So, Lori, the question we get from people who hadn't been using these underwithholding procedures and the relief we just discussed is, well, why wouldn't everyone just wait until March 15th then to withhold and apply the tax? Because if we don't have to actually do this on the payment date and we wait until March 15th and we're never penalized as long as we do that, why wouldn't we all just suddenly do our withholding on March 14th? A couple reasons. I mean, one, it, it is a little disingenuous if you just aren't withholding purposefully. I mean, the rules do have very descriptive timelines. Um, but yeah, this relief is very broad and doesn't say anything like that. I just point that out that it may be a challenge with the IRS. But I think one of the more important things here is the risk that if you don't do that withholding and do it after the fact, we have in the regulations a provision that you can recoup any underwithholding that you pay in on behalf of another person, but you can only do so until March 15th. So the unextended deadline again of that 1042. You may have a contract right that would allow you to recoup at a date later than that. But absent that, the regulations are only going to provide you relief up until that March 15th date. Um, so you may find a situation then where you're just out the with under withholding and you don't have an opportunity to get that back. And the one thing I would say is if this is the first time you're utilizing these under withholding procedures, I would recommend that you get your 1042 review just to make sure you're reporting it correctly so you're not getting penalized. So now I'm going to shift to our second topic, which are the escrow procedures, which is another type of relief available to withholding agents that we see vastly underused. The escrow procedures allow a withholding agent who is making a payment, but at the time they make the payment is lacking critical facts necessary to determine the character or source of the payment 
to hold back a portion of the payment representing the maximum potential tax liability. So usually that would be 30% of the payment and escrow it for a time period while they're getting the necessary facts to actually characterize and source the payment. So the escrow is available strictly when you lack necessary facts available. It does not apply simply when you don't know how to apply the law. And so we see this a lot of times where withholding agents are making payments. They have all the facts available. They've got the contract but they haven't done the evaluation of the contract. They haven't looked into the necessary rules to figure out how to treat this payment. That is not when you get to escrow. You actually have to be lacking critical facts. So some examples of when you can apply the escrow procedure, you're making a payment to someone for services, but you haven't yet gotten the statement from that person regarding whether the services were performed in or out of the United States. That's a fact that you don't currently possess. The escrow procedures allow you a period of time after the payment date to actually reach out to the payee and get the necessary information from them. Another example of where the escrow procedures can be really helpful is with respect to corporate distributions and partnership distributions. In both cases, the corporation or the partnership may be making a distribution to its owners before their year has closed. And so they don't know whether this payment represents FIDAP income or something else. In both of those cases, the escrow procedures allow the partnership or the corporation to make the distribution, paying out the 70% that we know won't be subject to tax, but holding back the 30% in escrow without depositing it with the IRS so that they have the time to determine the character or source of that payment. And Lori, can you maybe walk us through the appropriate procedures for escrowing payments? Yeah, sure. So as Danielle had said, you're going to hold back the 30% at the time you make the payment and you're going to put that into escrow. So not deposit it with the IRS, but you're just going to hold back. Now, the regulations are not clear what exactly does escrow mean. Now, the IRS has formally said many times at withholding conferences and whatnot that they don't mean a formal escrow account. They mean it's set aside in a liability account and you're not using it for your normal business purposes. So again, they, they say it doesn't have to be in a separate account, but if you're using the escrow procedure routinely, I definitely would recommend that you keep it into a separate account. Again, it doesn't have to be a formal escrow account, but where you're able to reconcile these payments much more easily than, it's, than if it's just in with your general business funds. One thing that's important, you can use the escrow procedure until the earlier of the time you get actual knowledge as to the character source of the payment or one year. So that means at the end of one year, if you have not made this determination by that point, you're going to have to deposit it with the IRS under the presumption rules that when you can't determine, it's presumed to be U.S. source FIDAP. When you do gain that knowledge earlier than that one year period, that's the liability date, which for all intents and purposes is the payment date. You're going to treat that as the payment date. And then at the end of that quarter monthly period, you're going to deposit in accordance with the deposit rules. Next, um, I'm going to turn it to Danielle to talk about the reporting with respect to this, because it can be a little bit different depending on the facts. So there's two scenarios when you escrow. The escrow always starts when you're making a payment and we're going to call the payment year year one. And at the time of the payment, you don't know how to characterize this payment. So you put the amount in escrow in year one. As Lori stated, the escrow period is going to end either at the one-year deadline from the date you initially put the amount in escrow or an earlier date if you gain knowledge on that earlier date. 
for scenario one, we're going to talk about what will happen if you escrow in year one and obtain knowledge regarding the payment later during year one. So this is the easier scenario because the escrow is beginning and ending within the same calendar year. And so at the time you're completing the Form 1042S in March, you will have knowledge about the exact character and payment. And so you will complete the Form 1042S in the exact same manner as if you had not escrowed the payment in the first place. And the important thing to note is you do not check the escrow box on line 7B. For the Form 1042, you're also going to complete the form in the exact same manner as if you hadn't escrowed it, with one critical exception. For lines 1 through 60, where you enter your tax liability date, you're going to enter the week that matches the date you obtained the knowledge. So you will not enter your tax liability for the payment date because at that time, you didn't know the character of the income and you were escrowing it. So you didn't actually have a tax liability on that date. Your tax liability hits on the date that you actually have knowledge about the payment. And so for example, if I make a payment in February of 2021 and I escrow it, now in November of 2021, I realize what the payment is because I've obtained the necessary facts. When I complete the 1042, I'm going to enter the relevant week for that date in November when I obtain the knowledge. Everything else on the 1042 will be completed the same as if you had not escrowed. Now scenario two is a little more complicated. Scenario two is where you escrow the payment in year one, but either you don't obtain the requisite knowledge until year two or the one year escrow period simply expires, which would also be in year two. In this case, you're generally gonna have to file two forms 1042S, one for year one, one for year two. It is absolutely critical that you will be filing two returns. Do not do a year one return and then file an amended year one return when you have the knowledge in year two. That's gonna lead to potential penalties. You're going to file year one 1042S, which Lori will walk you through, and then you're gonna file a separate 1042S in year two, which I'll talk about in a second. Okay, so yeah, first of all, a couple reminders before I go through how you're going to report this. You're only reporting on that 1042S those amounts that were not resolved in year one. So if part of it was resolved in year one and part of it was not, the part that was resolved, you're going to follow the procedures that Danielle just went through, and only that portion that wasn't resolved will be under this mechanism that I'm going to talk about. And one thing that we should also point out, for example, if it's a corporate distribution and the corporation actually knows that for certain, that a certain percentage is going to be treated as a dividend, it's just not certain as to the other portion, they're going to have to split that out. And, and for the part that they know is actually a dividend payment, they're going to have to treat that under the normal rules and only use the escrow procedure for the portion that's unknown. Um, so that's an important fact. Okay, so how you're going to report in the first year. So in box one, you're going to use the closest income code that you believe matches the payment. May end up not being correct, but, but that's okay. You're just going to use the, the closest one. For the gross income, you're going to report the payment that is made in year one, so just the, the normal payment. And then in box 7A, you're going to put the full tax amount that you escrowed. And here it's very critical that you check box 7B. If you don't check 7B, you are going to get a penalty notice. So again, you're going to report the entire amount of tax that you escrowed in 7A, even though you didn't deposit it, and then make sure you check 7B. Then on the 1042 for year one, the only place you're going to be reporting any 
portion of this is going to be in the lines associated with 62. So the gross income and, and the tax, and that's it. You're not going to put any liability in one through 60, and you're not going to have anything on page two of that form. Okay, so now we're in year two, and your reporting obligation in year two is going to depend on whether after the conclusion of the escrow period, you've determined there's any tax liability owed to the IRS. Once that escrow period ends, you have an obligation to either immediately deposit that amount with the IRS or if you determine there's no tax liability, you must immediately refund the amount to the payee. Now, there are cases, especially in the dividend scenario, where you're going to have a split decision, where a portion of it will be determined to be deposited with the IRS and subject to tax. The other portion will be not subject to tax and will be refunded to the payee. In that case, you really should mentally break that up as two payments. And so if I have $100 that was distributed and I decided that $50 of it was actually a dividend subject to tax at 15% and the remaining 50% of it was a return of capital, that return of capital piece will not be subject to tax. I will not be having to file a return for it in year two. But the first portion of it, the $50 that was treated as a dividend, should be reported to the IRS. And so where I've got a portion that must be reported to the IRS, either whether it's the entire amount or just a fraction of the payment, I'm going to file a 1042S for that in year two. In box one, I'm going to enter the income code 50, which is income previously reported under the escrow procedures. And that's letting the IRS know that you're reporting a 1042S for year two, but it relates to income that you previously reported in year one. And this is the reason we don't do an amended return for year one, because they've already set up a mechanism where they want this dual reporting. So you started the escrow in year one, you're finishing it in year two. In box two, you're going to report only the amount of income that was determined to be subject to withholding. So in my scenario where I've got $50 where it was dividends and $50 that turned out to be return of capital, even though you would normally report return of capital, because we determined that there was no withholding required, we are not going to report that in year two. And so that will just disappear. But the $50 that is treated as dividends and subject to withholding will get reported now in box two. In box 7A, I enter the amount of tax that is being deposited. I do my exemption codes that match the income. And you do not check box 7B in year two. Box 7B was only used in year one to tell the IRS that I did make a payment, but I'm escrowing that payment, so don't look for the deposit. Now in year two, they are actually getting the deposit, so it's critical that you not check box 7B here. And when you do your form 1042, in lines one through 60, the tax liability date entered should be the date that the escrow ended. So either the earlier of the one-year deadline or the date that you obtain the requisite knowledge so that you can determine how to treat this payment. All the other lines on the 1042 get completed as normal for year two. And similar to the underwithholding provisions, how you complete the 1042S and 1042 is critical so that you're not subject to any penalties. So if you're doing an escrow for the first time, we do recommend you get your 1042s and your 1042Ss reviewed both in year one and year two to make sure you're following this procedure properly. But we do recommend that withholding agents take advantage of these procedures because they could substantially reduce late deposit penalties or form reporting errors. Thank you so much for listening in. We wish you luck with your 2021 filing season.